0: and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana.
1: And I'm Kervin.
0: And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, we want to take a moment to discuss the biggest and most solemn news of the week on a geopolitical and historical level. On Thursday, September 8th, 2022, Queen Elizabeth II died peacefully at 96 years old. She was the longest-serving monarch in Britain's history, celebrating her 70th year on the throne this past June at the Platinum Jubilee. Her eldest son, Charles, formerly the Prince of Wales, now Charles III, has taken his place on the British throne as king. Before becoming queen, Elizabeth expressed a desire to join the war effort during World War II, and in 1945, when she was 19, Elizabeth was given permission to join the military effort. She joined the Women's Auxiliary Territory Service, the ATS, and trained for six weeks as an auto mechanic. Prior to World War II, Britain had maintained a vast empire of colonial holdings and a reputation as a world power. At its height, the British Empire held 57 colonies or other territories, comprising of about a quarter of the land mass of the world. By 1947, those colonies began to break away and Queen Elizabeth oversaw a process in which practically the entire British Empire transformed into a voluntary association of sovereign nations instead of fighting against these former colonies queen elizabeth fast-tracked the process while much is said of the atrocities of the british empire it was queen elizabeth who oversaw the transformation from empire to commonwealth she was an ardent supporter of 600 british charities and over 3000 global charities i want to read this quote which i believe kind of epitomizes epitomizes who queen elizabeth was on a human level we are all visitors to this time this place we are just passing through our purpose here is to observe to learn to grow to love and then we return home
1: wow tiana i mean that was that was emotional like that was it was well, um, I mean, we're living in a historical time
0: I'm, I'm tired of the history but yeah you know
1: <laughs> i do i do appreciate the statement and uh, that's such a fantastic quote And I do agree that it just epitomizes who she was as a person. So can you give us any information on what happens next? Uh, Have they crowned a new sovereign?
0: Well, I'll answer that last question first. Um, Immediately upon Queen Elizabeth's death at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, her son, Charles, became the official monarch of the United Kingdom of Britain and Northern Ireland, plus the head of state of Commonwealth countries such as Australia and Canada. Um, next week he will meet with the new prime minister for her first official weekly audience, and um, Britain is now officially in a state of mourning that will last until her funeral, which is ten days. Well, I guess nine days from now. Okay. Um, leaders from around the world will obviously travel to the UK to pay their respects to the woman that oversaw so much change and leaves a world teetering on the brink of another world war.
1: And you, you make a good point there, and having such a lack of women in leadership. I think she is something yeah. that's like a guiding force, should be yeah. for all women.
0: Especially during the period whenever she ascended to the throne, obviously. Yes. They, especially
1: they... that period. <laughs> and you you make a really good point there. Um, and as she was a woman in a time that women were not given power too <laughs> easily.
0: Yeah, and she was the sovereign of you know, the Commonwealth.
1: yes. And oversaw some really good things. And so this is not just the death of the sovereign. Um, and it, it is definitely a transfer of power on multiple levels within the United Kingdom. And this is all, as we've talked about many times, that the, the geopolitical implications are vast on this.
0: She is literally the only um, sovereign of England people 70 and younger have had.
1: Yeah, the you only know? one they remember.
0: The only one. Um, anyways, obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with the people of the United Kingdom. Definitely. And the Queen's family and friends and colleagues and yeah, unprecedented times for sure. Yes. Again. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's get to it because we've been, um, you know, dilly-dallying a bit. So what's on your radar for this week?
1: So before we get into the major stories that we're going to hit, there is an interesting development happening in another European country. Oh, yay. Uh, So this time it's Greece, which is warning the globe that Turkey may be planning an invasion similar to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, Over the last week, Turkish President Erdogan has made veiled threats toward Greece in a dispute of control over various islands in the Aegean Sea. So uh, we're going to watch this event very closely. We're going to have plenty of updates over the next few weeks as Europe seems to be on the brink of yet another conflict. Um, so let's get right into the other hot topics for this week. Uh, we're going to do Russia-Ukraine. We've got a couple of uh, Russian stories as um, Russia's denying purchasing weapons from North Korea, but we're seeing that that is actually happening. Um There are Baltic nations that are now denying Russians visas to travel to those countries. Um, We'll head over to Taiwan, who, as we mentioned last week, we have more on the story of how Taiwan actually shot down a Chinese drone.
0: Sorry, it sounded like you said, shot down.
1: Shot down. (laughs) That's a different thing that happens. Um, We'll get to, no worries, we'll get to um, Israel and the conflict with Iran and Syria um we'll head over to you know normally we don't really do much in the north american continent because there's a ton of stuff going on elsewhere but on this continent that we are on there's a ton to talk about that starts with um the mexican mexican president who has changed course on using the military against the cartel and Mm. we're going to go into the oath keepers who we've talked about a few times now their membership list was recently released and there were some interesting developments there.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And as we're doing this month with uh, misinformation through history, we're going to talk about Flat Earth. Oh, no. Uh, So it's going to be an interesting topic.
0: Okay, well, (laughs) let's get into it. What is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine?
1: Okay, so major news this week as the Ukrainian military performed a surprise counteroffensive. This one's different from what they were doing before. Um, Sort of did a surprise one here in uh, Kharkiv which is a region bordering Russia that has for months been struck by Russian missiles. So President Zelensky said that he had received news that his forces had freed a batch of settlements in that region um, in their surprise counteroffensive. And some analysts are saying that they had seen the Ukrainian military capture around or recapture around 154 square miles of territory. Oh, wow. Um, Now, while Russia has confirmed the fighting in the area, it has not confirmed any losses. Obviously, they won't do that. Yeah. Um, uh, the, but I will say there has been um, some unverified social media accounts run by Russian military experts suggesting Moscow did suffer setbacks and that they're going to need to urgently reinforce those troops.
0: So how is Putin reacting to all this <laughs> lovely news?
1: Great question, because uh, Putin did make a speech this week. Uh,
0: of course,
1: Um, He stated Russia would not lose the so-called special military operation.
0: He's still using those words to describe what he's doing? Okay.
1: Um, He um, he continues to describe it as an attempt to preemptively protect his country's security against an expanding NATO. Uh, But right now, he is threatening to cut off energy supplies if price caps are imposed on Russia's oil and gas exports. He's warning the West it would be, quote-unquote, frozen, like the wolf's tale uh, from this famous Russian fairy tale.
0: Can you expand on what this fairy tale is?
1: Uh, sure, and there, are, there's a couple of versions, um, and it is like most fairy tales that have not been dumbed down for children. It's a wild story. Um, okay. So it, it's all hindered on this back-and-forth battle between a fox and a wolf. So my assumption is that Putin views Russia as the uh, sly fox that continuously tricks the wolf and the wolf being Western Europe in Putin's statement.
0: Or just the West in general.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, the U.S., all that. Um, So a little bit on the story. After the fox outsmarts an old man who was taking uh, this fish to his wife, the fox stole all the fish that he had caught that day. Uh, The wolf comes up to the fox um, and he wants some of the fish. So the fox tells the wolf to catch his own. It's kind of, you know, the proverb, give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a yeah. man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Yeah. Um, however, it's not so nice in this case because the fox then tells the wolf, in trying to train him how to fish, uh, to stick his tail in the freezing water, which the wolf does, and his tail freezes and gets stuck. So at that point, a uh, woman shows up to the water source. She finds the wolf, was an apex predator, Mm-hmm. Um, and calls on the village to come out and beat the wolf. Um, the wolf gets beaten, and that's just one part of the story. There are many different times the fox outsmarts the wolf, and, um, and I do think that this should be a cautionary tale of how Putin views, views NATO um, and you know, how he sees himself as the one. He's the fox who's outsmarting Western Europe, and he's right. calling on Russia's allies to come over and beat the wolf.
0: Okay. Original fairy tales or something, huh?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So the moral of the story is basically don't mess with Russia because it is smarter than all of its adversaries.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm assuming is that that's what he's saying.
0: Yeah. Well, then speaking of Russian allies, let's get into this discussion about North Korea selling weapons to Russia. What's the latest?
1: All right. As we've said, U.S. intelligence believes North Korea is ready to sell millions of rockets and artillery shells from its old stock to its ally, one of the few allies of Russia right now. Um, Now, Russia is calling that intelligence report fake, uh, but U.S. officials say that this shows Russia's desperation with the war in Ukraine and that uh, Moscow will buy additional military hardware from North Korea for its war in Ukraine. Now the ammunition North korea uh, reportedly intends to sell to Moscow are probably copies of soviet era weapons because so those can fit the Russian launchers they're using right now yeah, um it, as of right now, there are some questions over the quality of those supplies um people want people are are trying to figure out how much they could actually help the Russian military um mm-hmm. because we've spoken many times on this podcast that. Ukraine is actually being outfitted with numerous higher quality weapon systems from places like the United States and Western Europe.
0: Is there an analysis on the exact type of weapons that North Korea may supply Russia? Like how accurate they are?
1: So if North Korea supplies Russia with weapons, um, it will be from their aging stock, um, and they have a reputation for poor accuracy. So one example of their ineffectiveness uh, happened during North Korea's artillery bombardment of South Korea's front line in 2010, and that killed four people. Now, only 80 of the three to 400 munitions North Korea fired likely hit the target. Oh, um, no. About half of the missiles launched ended up just falling into the water before reaching the front line island.
0: Well, I mean, obviously, that was a blessing because they would have killed more people. Right. But I'm sure they weren't too happy about that. Um <laughs> And with these successful counteroffensives, Ukraine really seems to be rallying the troops. Could we possibly see a peace agreement soon? Maybe,
1: maybe uh, not likely. So, okay. um,
0: that was a dumb question, I guess. <laughs> no,
1: not a dumb question at all. Uh, that's what we all want, right? Uh, that's yeah. what we would all push for. But yeah. the common mistake that leaders in the media continue to make is they're taking Vladimir Putin at face value. Um, So he said this was a special military operation to protect the Russian-majority regions in eastern Ukraine. Um, He said the operation was to defeat NATO aggression as it continues to increase its presence along Russia's border. So he says a lot of things, but you've got to kind of piece together what he's trying to message to the Russian people. Um, Putin wants Russian expansion. That's what he staked his life on. Uh, He wants a return to the original Soviet Union, and that's what this war is about. Um, I still believe this campaign will not be over until uh, either Ukraine agrees to full Russian control of the country, or Putin is given no other option but complete annihilation of Russian's military, economy, and government. So those are the two things. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?
0: Well, speaking of the Russian people, you mentioned they are being denied visas by the Baltic countries. Do you have more information on that?
1: Uh, Yes, I do. The countries in question are Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Uh, They've agreed to restrict the entry of Russian citizens traveling from Russia and Belarus. They expect the ban to be in place by the middle of this, this month, the month of September, and that's once it gets formal approval from those governments. Now, the countries will turn back all Russian citizens, even if they have a visa to enter the European Union's uh, Shenzhen border area, which is just an area where everyone can travel through uh, through Europe without being stopped at the border. Okay. Um, Now, exceptions will be made for humanitarian and family reasons, um, as well as getting truck drivers in and diplomats.
0: So not all European countries are doing this?
1: No, not all of them, um, and some of that's due to fear of retaliation. That's uh, that's why Finland is not participating in this. Um, other countries believe that denying those with visas would actually cancel the whole Shenzhen principle of a free and open border. So it remains to be seen uh, what those nations are going to do in the future, and we're going to keep watching that closely, and we'll have an update as soon as we hear any further on that.
0: Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's move to Taiwan, and you briefly mentioned last week that Taiwan shot down a Chinese drone. Do you have any more information on that
1: event? I do. Uh, So for the first time, Taiwan's military shot down an unidentified civilian drone that entered its airspace. Um, This is after the government vowed tough measures against a rise in intrusions by China. So Taiwan Premier Su Xinjiang stated the action was the most appropriate measure to take, after those repeated warnings went on deaf ears. Now, China responded that Taiwan was trying to increase tensions over the incident, which follows Taiwan's repeated complaints of harassment from Chinese drones flying close to Taiwan's borders. All this as Beijing participates in military drills closely around Taiwan.
0: So, again, no improvement in relations.
1: Uh, Right, but, you know, China isn't really being outspoken or making any bold moves as of right now, towards the border of Taiwan.
0: And what do you mean about, what do you mean bold moves?
1: <laughs> uh, I w- I'm talking about something that would provoke an armed conflict. Oh, okay. Um, we're, we're looking at things like pushing their fighter jets into Taiwanese airspace. So Beijing believes that's Chinese airspace. So they would feel justified in doing that. They could also do something more cor- covert uh, or sinister, like, Maybe an, an assassination attempt on an elected official in Taiwan, so those would be moves that could definitely set off a conflict. But it would also allow China to say it was justified because really, all this is is Taiwan is China to the uh, you know to N- mainland China. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Are we closer or farther from an armed conflict in the Indo Pacific?
1: Um, I'd say we are at the same spot. We've been for a couple of years now. Um, you know, China is making some audacious statements, but their actions are actually more cautious.
0: Well, thank you for that update. Uh, how are things looking in the Middle East?
1: Um, not good. So, <laughs> this week, Israeli uh, an Israeli airstrike on Aleppo Airport in Syria damaged the runway, and it took that airport out of service. Now, Syria stated they had taken down several of the rockets before they hit. Um, and they still had made no mention of any possible injuries or deaths.
0: Was the intent to hit the airport?
1: So the, the stated intent by the Israeli government was that it was an attack on Iranian-based fighters at a warehouse in Aleppo. Now, many international airports have a, a civilian and a military side, and Aleppo's no different. So um, Israel definitely could have been targeting the airport to stop the flow of Iranian supplies and personnel, but that is not verified as of yet. Um, so when there's more, we'll circle back to this on another episode.
0: Well, in that case, we can head back to North America as a couple of very interesting events have happened over the last week. Where do you want to start?
1: I will start in Mexico, um and then we'll get into that very fascinating report on um u s based extremist extremist group, the Oath Keepers.
0: Perfect. What is happening in Mexico right now?
1: So the Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador says he's changed his mind about using the army to keep peace. So um, he had two presidential bids. One was failed in 2012. um, And and then in 2018, he succeeded in winning over the popular vote. But in both of those bids, he promised to take the military off the streets. Now, after having said that, he won the 2018 election by a landslide. Um, Since then, Mexico has been in crisis, and that's due to violent actions by the cartel. Uh, So now, as of 2019, Mexico installed a National Guard police force to counter the corrupt past uh, practices of the then-federal police, who had long been accused of taking money from the cartel. So if what the president is looking at doing, which is to put more uh, military in the National Guard police force, uh, the legislation would give the army operational, financial, and administrative control of that guard force. So the, the Mexican population is obviously concerned uh, because their thought is that the military would continue the corrupt practices of the federal police. But yeah, now that's with what the I was backing, about to say. Yes.
0: That's what I was about to say that, I mean, wouldn't, I mean, it's possible that they could become corrupt as well.
1: <laughs> Definitely. And, and what does absolute power do?
0: Corrupts, absolutely.
1: Correct. And with that comes uh, money as well. So, and, and all that would be with the backing of the entire Mexican government.
0: So has the new police force, which has been in place since 2019, made any significant improvements to the security situation down there?
1: Not really. And, you know, as we've spoken about on a few occasions, the security situation in Mexico, um, and this is especially for journalists and women, is awful. Um, so, putting the federal government at the head of the security forces really won't solve the issue either, um, and it it does appear that the legislation is actually going to get voted down. Um, so, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and see what the government can do.
0: Okay, well, we'll follow up on that in the next few weeks. Uh, let's discuss the Oath Keepers and the release of the names of several members of that extremist group.
1: Uh, yes, and I'm I want to give credit to you, Tiana because you sent this my way to start researching. And this came from the Anti-Defamation League um, and a report they put out that a data leak revealed the information of thousands of people whose names were in an Oath Keeper's database as having paid for a membership at some point. Yeah, so it's not just names that they got or email addresses in a a data breach. wow. These people paid.
0: So they knew what they were doing. Their names weren't just like taken and added to the list they gave money there was money in exchange correct for yes um oh, okay. okay and and it's
1: both sides of this uh it's yeah. some of the names or members are, are still in good standing in the oath keepers and others who oh my gosh have really gotten out and they don't they're not paying their dues and they're not associated with the oath keepers Yikes. um and for anybody who's just this is the first episode you're listening maybe you don't know who the oath keepers are Um, They are an anti-government extremist group that's associated with the militia movement in the United States.
0: Yeah, so they were also involved in the storming of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, 2021, though,
1: right? Uh, Yes, they were. Um, And honestly, that is what thrust them into the public eye. You know, while most national security and intelligence professionals had been tracking the Oath Keepers uh, from their inception, really, They were actually really unknown by most people until that January 6th event.
0: So are there any big names that our audience would know?
1: Well, after reading that long list of names, um, I honestly think this is more of a story about the individual's positions, uh, more so than the actual names of the members. Because almost all the names released that at least I have seen, you'd have to either be in the military units identified or a citizen of the municipalities these individuals were serving. Uh, What is not. Yeah. Um, What I don't want to downplay though, is that several of these individuals held positions within the police force, um, the military, even some mayors were implicated. Um, And in some cases, those individuals were using their position of power to gain notoriety within the group. That's gross. Very gross. I do want to say that the uh, anti-defamation league did put a disclaimer that I thought was very fair. Uh, I want to I want to read the entire statement and give them credit because um, it is a great example of staying fair and balanced even in this very disturbing data leak of names. Um, so this is what they said, and they put important: um, an individual's inclusion in the Oathkeeper database is not proof that they were or still are an Oathkeeper. Uh, that they hold or held all or some of Oathkeeper ideology or viewpoints, or that they are actively participating in Oathkeeper activities. When reviewing this information, you should bear in mind the possibility that the individual misunderstood the nature of the Oathkeepers. Before taking any action based on this information, an individualized assessment of the individual must take place.
0: So, what is your recommendation for what people should do with this information?
1: All right. First, understand the Oath Keepers are a sometimes violent extremist group with the desire to overthrow the United States government. So if you see a name you recognized or uh, that name is someone that's serving within your community, they should be questioned on their membership. Absolutely. Uh, You do not have to vote for that person. I don't care if they are part of your party affiliation and that's just how you vote down the line. They do not need your vote. Now, I will also say that the affiliation of one person to a certain political party does not mean the entire political party is a hate group. Um, Likewise, if you are seeing a particular political party being implicated in membership in these violent extremist groups, it may be time to reevaluate your own affiliation within that political party. Um, And I don't want us to forget that violent extremism isn't one-sided either. Um, I normally caution against joining any extreme groups. It's not a good idea. Um, this is because typically fringe groups don't have your best interest at heart or anyone's best interest, honestly.
0: Well, yeah, it's probably best to not get involved with anything on any side of the political spectrum that's right. you know considered extreme. So just to reiterate, you advise people to do the research and question those in power who are affiliated with these groups.
1: Yes, also... Uh, you know, as we talked about with Vladimir Putin, don't just take them at their word. Uh, check their recent actions. Um, honestly, as well, allow for a redemption story through actions, not words. Just because somebody says they're sorry, uh, it doesn't mean they should automatically be forgiven. But it it also doesn't mean they should stay in political purgatory if they've actually changed their action. So I kind of think that, especially in politics, we forget um, that as humans that redemption is a huge part of our history. Everyone makes yeah. mistakes. Um, if that person is saying one thing and doing the opposite, definitely there's no redemption story there. <laughs> um, and and we all make mistakes, and we need to learn from them, and that's the way to do that.
0: Well, thank you for that. Uh, let's get to history's mysteries, which this week should be quite interesting, since we will be discussing the flat earth myth,
1: misinformation, uh, yeah, I do want to reiterate the flat Earth is a myth, uh, but this is called the flat Earth myth or flat Earth error, um, and uh, and it is a modern misconception that European scholars and educated people during the Middle Ages believed the Earth was flat. Um, that actually didn't occur. This, oh yes. So did you have we something? We learned
0: that in school.
1: Exactly. That's what I wanted to say.
0: Like our, like I feel like our history books and well i guess it's mainly history books our history books were just lies just the lies
1: <laughs> and it's just I mean, like we talked about i'm glad you brought that up
0: history. yeah
1: <laughs> cuz it's Holy
0: the moly. same I, so they really didn't think the earth was flat and we were going to fall off
1: and now i'm not i'm everyone. not going to say that sorry
0: well not yeah i mean obviously not everyone thought that anyways but right. so it was Far, it was a smaller subset of people who believed that it wasn't as common knowledge.
1: V- yes, exactly. As very they tried
0: to, yeah, very much. Oh, so we're going to get
1: into how that happened, why it happened, and why okay. it's important. Because I think we go from the cute, you know, cherry tree story of George Washington to this uh, seemingly innocuous, like, story of flat Earth. Now let's go back even further in history, uh, to the earliest writings of Earth as a sphere. So that happened actually in ancient Greece in the 5th century BC. Um, And it was widely agreed upon when Erastasis of Cyrene calculated the circumference of Earth in 240 BC.
0: Then what happened to make people believe that everyone in the Middle Ages believed that Earth was flat? i remember being told they thought ships would fall off the side of the earth if they traveled too far in one direction
1: yeah same i had the exact same lessons in school talking about mm. that now thanks thanks school thanks public thanks education school.
0: thanks school
1: <laughs> now according to james hannam uh the myth that people in the middle ages thought the earth is flat appears to date from the 17th century As part of a campaign by Protestants against the Catholic teaching, Um, it, however, gained traction in the 19th century thanks to misinformation by John William Draper's *History of the Conflict Between Religion and Science* and Andrew Dixon White's *A History of the Warfare of Science with Theology and Christendom*. So, atheists and those guys were both atheists, um, and they championed the uh, this sort of conflict thesis for their own purposes. But historical research gradually demonstrated that Draper and White had propagated more fantasy than fact in their efforts to prove that science and religion are locked in this eternal conflict.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, Now, multiple modern scientists have stated there were very few Christian scholars of the Middle Ages who claimed the Earth was flat. Um, and they even knew and accepted its approximate circumference.
0: So it really all started with the infighting between Catholics and Protestants.
1: Uh, yes, and I really feel this is an that's um, an important misinformation campaign to highlight and show how, you know, these kind of things can be used to vilify an opponent. So this was at the peak of the split between Catholics and Protestants during the Reformation. So at the time, Catholicism was regarded as the Christian religion. Um, they say it dates back to when Jesus proclaimed, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So in Catholicism, that is viewed as the start of the Catholic Church. Um, and by the founding of Constantinople, the Catholic Church became the most powerful entity in the world. But in the 16th century, Martin Luther looked to change all of that. Um, I I know I'm glossing over the Crusades, and the amount of damage Islam did to the church. You know, Constantinople is no longer Constantinople. It's now Istanbul. Um, And that's a conversation to be had in a historical sense, but it's not relevant to this misinformation campaign.
0: Well, what is relevant to this piece of misinformation?
1: So human nature, I think, is the most relevant piece to this misinformation and why we need to make the other side look bad in order to win a war or a conflict. Um, and this is what happens in every war that I've looked into. So in order to continue fighting a particular group of people, you must make them appear less than you. So in the American Revolution, the Brits were called you know vile redcoats. World War II, U.S. troops called Germans nasty krauts. We went, you know, in Vietnam, there were disgusting terms toward the Vietnamese uh, during the Gulf thank War. You for, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't go into all of all those. those.
0: Yeah, please don't. <laughs>
1: Uh, So the war in Ukraine is they're they're calling Ukrainians Nazis, you know, the Russians, You know invaders, things like that. Um, All of these conflicts breed hatred for the opposing group. That was no different in the war between Protestants and Catholics. Uh, I mean, that even still goes on today as somebody who was born into a Protestant family that had Catholic background. There was definitely infighting there. Yeah. so uh, we get into like a couple of centuries after the Reformation, and the Protestant misinformation campaign begins to be used against all Christian thinkers. Um, as we talked before, the leading atheists and agnostics at the time attempt to promote this sort of false flat earth theory to combat the Christian creation story. Um, and so here's the big takeaway from how misinformation can be dangerous so that false theory that flat Earth was widely held to be true in the Middle Ages has infiltrated the conspiracy theory movement on social media. So we, yeah. we have a, a generation of people, and I'm going to say it's a very small group. We're not we're not talking about a vast population of people. Yeah. But they firmly believe that the Earth is flat, um, and their entire personality is based off of this theory. Um, that means that you would tend to hold other conspiracy theory beliefs. Um, and that can, in turn, lead to a pervasive thought that what all science is a lie. You should trust no one except the people on the internet you've never met, but you trust them completely. Um, and that sort of leads you down the rabbit hole of other conspiracy theories we'll talk about and how the misinformation campaigns have, have led to that thinking. And I will say, I'm, I'm not being unbiased here on the flat Earth theory because there is all kinds of facts to look to. We go into space, we can see the Earth as a sphere.
0: But space isn't real.
1: That's another story we'll have on a different day.
0: Okay, well, I do do appreciate you explaining that because flat Earth does seem like not that big of a deal, especially since obviously that's not the prevailing theory anymore. Right like it didn't hold very long, but I do see how it can lead to more dangerous theories and actions. Is there anything else for this week?
1: After that, we are well over time for this week.
0: Well, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify and give us a five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at IlkwinAnalytics.com.
1: Tiana, thank you so much. <laughs> and until next week, stay safe out there.